Stone Cold Steve Austin, the victim of a vicious attack. There was a cinder block near his head. What, what happened? What happened? Tonight in the triple threat match, it's gonna be Triple A. It's gonna be The Undertaker and the third and final opponent to see who the number one contender at SummerSlam will be is China. China's just a girl. She could get hurt. Just a woman. Try me, Triple H. Now remember this matchup. First person to earn a pinfall or submission wins the match. They'll be the number one contender to meet Austin at SummerSlam. Oh! China is now Triple H. She definitely one. She wants to be the number one contender. Hey, wait a minute. There's Austin, and he's got a steel chair. Now he knocked over the top rope. Here comes the champion of the world. China on Helmsley. Now wait a minute. Austin, get, no, wait a minute. Jeff, oh. China. China's the number one contender. What? China's the number one contender. I don't know what you're trying to prove, but let's call a spade a spade here. Remember who made your ass? I did. Listen, you ungrateful bitch. I am not asking anymore. I am telling you, I am taking back. What's mine? You give it a shot, Triple H. Frankly, you ain't got the f to beat me. We're gonna finally find out who the number one contender's gonna be at SummerSlam. Wait, wait, there's Mankind! What? Mankind is there! He's got... What is it? He's got... Oh, gosh! Right in the head! Hilton got nailed in the head by Mankind! Wait a minute, wait a minute! Wait! Again, China is the number one contender! I want a piece of SummerSlam! How did that sound, Milwaukee? Mankind wants to be the number one contender for Summer. Oh my God! In case you don't get it, that means no. Mick, you want, you shall receive. I cannot believe this. We're going to see China and Mankind go one on one tonight. If you want it, you'll bring your ovaries, and I'll bring my guys who will see who the number one contender truly is. China, look out! distracted by. Triple H's presence, Faco, and China is counting down, and Mankind is going to SummerSlam, and Helmsley can't stand it. Shane McMahon is back. Good. Tonight, in that very ring, I am demanding a match between Mankind and Triple H to determine the undisputed number one contender for SummerSlam. Shane McMahon and the Heartbreak Kid will both be referees for Mankind and Triple H. No holes barred. Uh, anything goes in this match, and the balls count anywhere in the arena. Who will be the number one contender? They really don't make a damn to me because I ain't gonna give a rat's ass who's in the ring with me as long as I got an opponent. Mankind's right hand is headed south, and out comes the Sato. Mankind buries that right hand into the golem of Triple H. What would you do about that? Shane and Sean were deadlocked in their call of the match. Vince contractually could not be backstage, so I made the decision that at SummerSlam there would be the triple threat compromise. It's going to be Austin against two men. Healthy mankind. He'll be two men coming to take Austin to the title. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Manage Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host for tonight, Aaron Lloyd. Today, 
episode is all about SummerSlam 1999. If you haven't been with us before, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Poppy, and Stitcher. Make sure to head over to WhatAManeuver.net for your Mad Madness gear. You can also head over to Ringside Collectibles and use promo code MMADNESS for 10% off your order. Hope everybody's enjoying their brand new AEW figures. Hope to get my hands on those soon and everything you else you guys have been ordering but today's episode is all about SummerSlam 1999 but before we get into the advertised content I want to talk about a few things on the weekly product uh Drew McIntyre Randy Orton I talked about last week is finally official but how excited I was about it but the match now has something to grasp onto it actually has substance to it they're harkening back to the whole Drew McIntyre be- being deemed the chosen one but Randy Orton, in reality, really is the chosen one. On the promo on Raw, Randy Orton admitted to, hey, yeah, I should have been fired years ago, but I wasn't fired. You were fired, and I'm more important to this company than you are, Drew, then, now, and forever. And I think that's a great thing for this feud to grasp off of, because if you guys remember, the presentation of Drew McIntyre in 2009 was big. Vince personally introduced him as his chosen one, his hand-picked guy. And shortly after that, McIntyre is the Intercontinental Champion by the end of the year and has is being pushed, and he's being almost every top star, every star except guys like The Undertaker. But McIntyre was made a big deal early in his career as the chosen one. And Randy Orton, we all know about Randy Orton's history. You could... Watch some of that on the Ruthless Aggression Evolution documentary on the network. But we all know a lot of Randy Orton's demons, especially with the suspensions and things like that. We know that he has demons, and you could make an argument that he should have been fired years ago. He should have, but he was given opportunity opportunity after opportunity, and he's actually admitting to that. And it goes back to the whole feud he had with Edge. That's why the feud with Edge... This past year was actually so good because it hit on so much truth. My knock on Randy Orton has always been, it kind of seems like he's phoning it in for the most part, and he doesn't really care. He admitted to that. And it's always been noticeable, but for him to actually come out and say that during that Edge feud is what made that Edge feud one of the best feuds of the year. And that's going to go into my next topic. I was on Bleach Report, and I listened to an interview with Edge did. And Edge talked about his feud with Randy this past year and the substance had the fe- the substance to the feud was what made it because all the things that they hit on were true edge really did meet randy orton backstage to say hey i hope we could work together possibly one day and everything that happened in that feud was actually factual and i think a lot of us have WWE fatigue at this point because at this point it's like randy orton's 40 years old randy orton's been in the company within 18 years you bring edge back he's 46 years old but i think and then also these two they were dealt dealt a bad hand because of the pandemic starting so WWE they, they weren't having anybody in the in attendance so there's a lot of crowdless shows so but i think a lot of those promos that they actually cut full underrated because if you actually sit there and actually listen to the verbiage that edge and Randy Orton are spewing in those interviews during the crowdless era they're actually really really good it's really good stuff and this feud is definitely a feud of the year and edge also talked about the backlash match and how it wasn't going to succeed because of the tagline of greatest wrestling match ever because Everybody has their own opinion, and these things are subjective. So, 
it might not have been the greatest wrestling match ever to some people, but it was one hell of a match. And it's definitely a match to get a contender. And Edge deemed it as his love letter to wrestling. And when you watch it, after hearing Edge say that, you could really see it. Uh, from the the Fink MSG mic coming down in the middle of the ring, the psychology, the signature moves from other wrestlers, it truly was a love letter to wrestling. And I think that a lot of us, before the end of the year, I think we need to revisit that Edge and Randy Orton's feud and just sit down and examine it for what it was and listen to the words that are actually being spewed. Because, I, like, I said, like I said, I think they were dealt a huge disadvantage because WWE wasn't sure how to handle this pandemic. And also, I want to talk about Kofi Kingston's out. Big E is alone right now, and he defeated The Miz last week on SmackDown. But I'm all for a Big E singles run. I really am. I think New Day has run its course. I think a lot of people do as well, because especially with tag team wrestling not being emphasized in WWE enough, I think singles run for Big E is the right thing to do. Kofi got his run last year, and now I think it's time for Big E, even though it's due to injury between Xavier and Kofi, but I could see Big E right in the Intercontinental title scene with AJ Styles. I'd love to see Big E versus AJ Styles over the IC title. It's a real it's a real feud I'm really interested in seeing. AJ Styles still the best worker in this world, and Big E can hang with AJ better than, just as much as anybody else can. So I think that's the first feud we might see for Big E going into his singles run. Now for AEW, uh, I just want to say MJF 2020. MJF, an absolute gem. Uh, watching him grow from his house of hardcore days has been incredible. MJF, one of my favorites to watch on a weekly basis. And it, give that man a mic in a platform, and I will be all ears. So he's challenging John Moxley for the AEW title at All Out. And my main thing about AEW now, I'm a fan of all wrestling. So I'm not going to sit there and pick sides or whatever, but. I'm not saying AEW is perfect. Some people do think AEW is perfect. I'm not, I don't think they're perfect at all. I don't think any wrestling company is perfect. But one thing about AEW is doing that, I think they're kind of missing the ball here. And I'm an advocate. I was advocating for this with the inception of AEW. And one of the things that I was talking about when AEW first started was how Cody, Kenny, the Bucks, and Hangman, how they'll have to be selfless. To make this work. They can't be any egos getting in the way. And so far no egos have gotten in the way. Cody put himself in the title. Cody was in a title match. Well the AEW world title match. Late last year. And he lost that match. Where he can't challenge for the title. But now he's a current TNT champion. That's fine. Young Bucks. They have not won the tag team titles yet. Are they... So that's fine. They are in a meaningful storyline with FTR. And that's good. You want meaningful stories on your show. But I think the person that is time to get a little selfish and has been the most selfless is Kenny Omega. Because when wrestling was starting to boom again in 2016, Kenny Omega was the one of the biggest names in the world and well-renowned as the best wrestler in the entire world. And I, I think Kenny hasn't really got a chance to show that for the most part. Because out of anybody, out of all these guys been selfless he's been the most selfless Kenny he's had great matches earlier this year he had his matches with Pac and Iron Man match that they had that was, which was an excellent match he had the tag match with Hangman Page this this past February which is a match year candidate but Kenny Omega is not known as a tag team wrestler and 
like, like I said a few seconds ago, 2016 until 2019 and tw- into now, Kenny was kind of need the best wrestler in the world. I think it's time for Kenny Omega to show that. And this new thing going on with him, Hangman, and FTR, I think coming out of this, we're going to kind of finally get Kenny Omega unleashed because I think it's time. I think Kenny Omega actually being the cleaner and being let go to do whatever the hell he wants and have fantastic matches might actually benefit AEW because all these people have heard was Kenny Omega this, Kenny Omega that. But they haven't really gotten the opportunity to see what the real Kenny, what Kenny Omega can really, really do. And I think that's one thing AEW is going to start doing short, shortly. I think Kenny will end up feuding with Hangman. And I think Kenny may actually be the world champion by the end of the year because I think Kenny Omega deserves it. If anybody's been selfless during this entire inception of AEW, it's been Kenny Omega. Now, for the advertised content, SummerSlam 1999. If you've never been up before, we'll play you our rating system. The following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slower knocker. And if it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. It will get a showstopper. Alright, thank you, Howard. RIP. So, SummerSlam 1999 from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, this show is. I'm gonna give it a slobber knocker. There are aspects of the show that I did like, but I'm not sure that they really hold up for the most part, but. I think there's a lot of good on this show. I think this, it's not a bad show. I think it's more of an underrated show. But like I said, a lot of stuff may not hold up as it did a, a, to a few years ago. But I do think this show, I think the show is really good. I do think that the involvement of Jesse Ventura in this show was perfect. I think he was sprinkled throughout the night perfectly. And it all worked well in the main event. I thought that Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman had a lot of good chemistry in their Lions Den match. Uh, when it comes to Triple H, the right Triple H, we all know where that goes. So we're going to get into the show. So the show starts with Jesse Ventura backstage with Triple H and trying to land on the law saying he knows all the, the tricks and that the match is going to end in the middle of the ring, one, two, three, no matter what. And then we go to uh, a newly signed Chris Jericho at Howard Finkel. Backstage saying, Hey, Chris, uh, I believe in you. And uh, I always loved this era of Fink with Chris Jericho. It wasn't long, but it was really fun. Fink always fun to watch interacting with the talent. So the first match to start the show is Jeff Jarrett and D'Lo Brown for the IC and European titles. Jarrett gets the win here and wins both titles. Well, the crowd was really hot and excited for the show. And the electricity went into this match, but the match didn't really garner this type of excitement. Denver comes out with Jarrett, but then leaves Jarrett and comes out with D'Lo. D'Lo walking down like it's a Friday night in Westchester. And uh, like I said, not much here, but what this match is most remembered for is Mark Henry turning on D'Lo Brown. He hits D'Lo with the guitar, and Jarrett wins both titles. And on the next night, Jarrett awards the European title to Mark Henry. D'Lo would regain the European title next month at Unforgiven. But it's interesting with D'Lo here because JR would refer to D'Lo as one of the great young stars of the company. And Vince Russo has always put over D'Lo 
and we Delo's always known as a Vince Russo guy. And it really came to show when Russo left because even though Delo wins the European title in September, Russo's gone in September as well. And going into 2000, Delo's basically relegated to Heat and not on the main shows at all. He would team with Chaz to form Lowdown in the middle of 2000, but that team was relegated to Heat as well. And also, by the end of 2000, their pair with Tiger Alley Singh, that really doesn't go anywhere. So, this was really pretty much it for the big push for D'Lo Brown. Not much from D'Lo after this at all. But like I say, he did, he would regain the European title next month at Unforgiven. Next up, we got a backstage promo with Edge and Christian for Tag Team Turmoil. And so, Tag Team Turmoil... Tag Team Turmoil Starts the Edge and Christian will start against the Hardys, and the Acolytes will ultimately win. After the first match with Edge and Christian and the Hardys as the new brood, I thought this match went completely out the window. I wasn't a big fan of this match at all. Like I do like tag team turmoil as a as a as a concept, but I think that when these got like like the. The teams have to be strong. Like these guys were not; these were not like real strong tag teams, other than the Hardys, Acolytes, and Edge and Christian. And I guess you want to throw the Hollies in there, but Crash Holly had just debuted what a, maybe a week or so prior, so they weren't really known as a tag team. But if you have strong, solid, solidified tag teams, then this stuff could actually work. But like I said, the match went went to shit after the Hardys and Edge, the Hardys. I mean, the Edge and Christian beat the Hardys, and the Acolytes would win. And they will get a title shot the next night on Raw. After this match, we get the Road Dog comes coming out. He cuts a promo before the Hardcore Title match, and he's met by a brand new Jericho who attacks the fans. Who says the the WWE cons WWE con, WB cons the fans out their money because they watch these useless performers, and that leads to that Hardcore Title match where Al Snow is the big boss man. Al Snow gets the win here. Uh, Al Snow. Hiding in the structure before Bossman's entrance, I thought it was great. I really did. Road Dog goes Rover to be commentary, Rover commentary team member at this time. The fun thing about these hardcore matches, even though they were a mess, is the thought that they actually put into it and like where they would end up. The match ends up in the bar of all places. Road Dog will hit Bossman with his nightstick. And Al Snow will win the hardcore title on a pool table. And like this feud will culminate the next month in one of the worst matches in WWE history at Unforgiven. The kennel from hell. Even the commentary with King and JR, they shit on this match as it's happening. I would go on my way to actually watch this and see how bad it was and to get a what the fuck of what was going on in their mind. And the whole Pepper thing with Al Snow committing cannibalism and not knowing that thought was really fun. Wouldn't hold up today, but I thought it was a lot of fun to actually see that part in this story we then go to the women's title match ivory retains against tory and i was interested in actually watching this match because recently jr was talking about how good of a worker tory was going back to her days in japan and also we also learned that on jr's podcast that at the king of the ring 2000 prior to tory getting hurt it was supposed to be tory and x-pac being with eddie and china instead of perry saturn and terry so with that being said this was real hard to watch. Um, <laughs> I thought they had no chemistry at all. And Ivory looked like the, the superior worker in this match. And I'll give I'll give Tori this. Her initial com- comeback in the match was fine. And it worked. But the finish ends up in a botch ending. 
when Tori botches a sunset flip and Ivory gets the pin and Ivory retains the women's title. And after the match, Ivory's chased off by Luna Vachon. And then we cut to a rock promo backstage where he just rips Michael Cole as always. And then that goes to the Lions Den match between Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman. So the name of this match sounds crazy, but these two actually make this match work. Uh, this is before the UFC is as big as that, big as it is today. But both these guys' styles are what makes this match work. Basically, because their their styles are part of their gimmicks with Shamrock MMA background, Blackman's karate background, and Blackman with the weapons is known as well. And it all comes together really nicely here. Like I would highly recommend watching this match. I think they pull it off really well. The fact that the cages uses a weapon also adds to the match. There's a point where Blackman throws Shamrock into the cage and Shamrock spring, springboards elbows off the cage to Blackman and Shamrock would get the win with a kendo stick shot to Blackman to win by, by knockout. But I did really did enjoy this match. I think their styles worked perfectly together and I highly recommend watching this match. Next up was the Love Her or Leave Her Granite Street Fight Test Defeat Shane McMahon. As overbooked as this match was, I thought it was awesome. The investment, like, well, the involvement of the Mean Street Posse, who was the best, worst stable of all time, and was absolutely perfect that they were actually Shane's buddies. I thought that was really good as well. The couch in the crowd was perfect for these guys. You got to make sure your your buddies are, com- are comfortable. And this is all the first. This is also the first time we see that Shane and Tarcore, the first time we actually see Shane do the elbow through the table and Tess is still really green at this point when the match starts a, when the match starts a weird spot we see Tess try to t- try to uh, tackle Shane into the ring post but it seems like he actually missed the ring post it's right in the beginning of the match if you ever watch it uh, the posse gets a lot involved here and to my happiness we get the return of the Stooges to fight off the posse of course Tess then hits the pump handle slam and on his own elbow and gets a win over Shane McMahon, and out comes a very elated Stephanie McMahon. And in retrospect, it's interesting to think if the Triple H marrying Stephanie was a long-term plan because you always heard McMahon was a big was big on Tess, and even most to this day, it was shut down. But Vince wanted Tess and DX, but DX didn't want any of that because they felt that's what wore down the NWO. But after the Stephanie angle, Tess was just floating around basically for the rest of his, for the rest of his career as just a guy. And in a few months, he's teamed with Albert and Trish as TNA. Uh, he's a former IC European and tag team champion. But this is pro- but after doing a story like this, it's just like this is all. This is the best he ever. This is the most he ever did with the company. It's really strange to see that and. They only revisit this storyline actually once, and it's only a year later because in August of 2000, it was an angle where Tess would call the cops on Triple H, and it was basically his revenge saying that he was supposed to get everything Triple H got when he married Stephanie. So that's the only time that this feud actually got brought back up. All that goes that leads us to the tag team title match. Undertaker and Kane going to defeat Kane and X-Pac to win the tag team titles here. Kane and X-Pac are one of my favorite teams still to this day. And the video package shows you why. We often talk about Kane being one of the top off-the-wall characters that the company ever created. And this story with X-Pac is basically giving Kane humanity and helping him, like X-Pac helping him speak uh, was such a good story. X-Pac even says before the match with Kevin Kelly that... Him and Kane are closer than him and Taker ever were. And we see the guys in this match, 
with the three big guys and Xbox being this odd one out, you really won't know what to expect. But Xbox is the, really the one that makes it here because Xbox is out, is out here selling for Taker and Big Show and it's not going away and showing a ton of heart in this match. This is also when Dinner Taker is taking Big Show under his wing. Big Show uh, hits a choke slam on Xbox. And there's a nonchalant cover, and Xbox kicks out at two. And if you do anything from this show, watch the Undertaker's face when Xbox kicks out. <laughs> the array of disgust in his face is absolutely perfect. So after that, Taker tags himself in, hits a tombstone on Xbox, and then we have new tag team champions. And even after the win, Xbox, uh, Taker is ripping. The Big Show. And just eight days later, they would lose the tag titles to the Rock and Sock Connection, and it would bounce back and forth between those two teams throughout the month. But at this this is the Undertaker's last pay-per-view until next May at Judgment Day. We then go to the Rock versus Billy Gunn. And uh, the forgotten and forgettable push of Billy Gunn in the summer of 1999, also the most forgotten king of the ring of all time, the main event stage to me was not for Billy Gunn as a singles. Love him as a tag team with, with, with Road Dog and Chuck Palumbo, but as a singles, I can care less. And this match proved it because I thought this match was really dull. I didn't think Billy had a chance at all. And there was nothing really going on here. Rock throws Billy into the big lady who Billy brought into the arena early in the night as if he won, The Rock would have to kiss her, her ass. But Billy's the one who kisses her ass, and The Rock gets a win with a rock bottom and a people's elbow for the win. And now we're to our main event. Mankind is going to defeat Triple H and Stone Cold here to win the WWF Championship with Jesse Ventura as the referee. I talked about this at the top of the show when I reviewed Fully Loaded that the No More Contendership would be a complete, was a complete mess had it out of Fully Loaded. Helmsley won it Fully Loaded. Then China became no more contender. Then Triple H belittles China. And China beats Helmsley to retain her no more contendership. And then Mankind returns and Mankind beats China. And then Shane comes back and makes Triple H versus Mankind. The winner is no more contender, but then it leads to a double pin where both guys are the no more contender and then will face Austin. And an interesting note here, we only see Austin once before this match throughout the entire night. And that's real unusual for this era, especially following Floyd Lord 1999 where we saw him almost every other scene every other cut scene throughout the night but I thought this match was really good and the addition of Jesse Ventura added so much because throughout the night you saw him talking to all three guys and giving them the rules to the match and what he was going to take and at this point with Triple H is a chair and Ventura sees him and Ventura refuses to count for Triple H he even injects China he gets into it with Shane and does a really good job officiating, did his role well because he was a big part of the promotion of the pay-per-view. So he was actually the fourth man in this match. <clears throat> and also here you also see the early stages of the Cerebral Assassin and Triple H working on the legs of Austin through the match. The growth of Triple H in 1999 was amazing. If you put a side-by-side of him in January and one from December, it's two completely different people. And to this day, I still think this match ends pretty abruptly with Foley taking Triple H out and then hitting the double arm DDT on Austin for the win. That because it, it took a crowd, it took the crowd a while to react. Because I don't, I'm not sure if they saw the three count or whatever, but or the, it took a while for the music to play. But Mankind winning, winning the world title was your swerve, uh, as Vince Russo likes to put it. And uh, 
Post-match, Helmsley takes out Austin. Austin's going to be out until no mercy after this point. But we all know what happens the following night. Triple H does defeat Mankind to win his first world title, and the rest is history from there. So I thought it was a fun show. A lot of interesting things here. I thought X-Pac had a good show with the with the, with the the Giants in there. Mankind, Triple H, Austin, the main event was really good. The Lions, that match, I recommend. Testing, Shane, I highly recommend as well. Uh, I should have a co-host next week for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. One, uh, I, me and Patch were there along with our friend, my friend James. So it'll be nice to talk about our experience there. And following up five years later, it's hard to believe that that is five years later. So that is next week's show, NXT Takeover Brooklyn One. Uh, also head over to WhatUpManoeuvre.net for your Mad Madness gear. Go to Ringside Collectibles and use promo code MMadness for ten percent off your order. And that's it for the show. I'm Alo Aaron Lloyd, and I will see you guys next week. Hop up the top rope, but the land with the elbow. Got him now, put him down right now. Hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. This is Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the mystery man, it ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.